Prado looking, throws it, alley, oh, he puts it down, he puts it down, it's over! Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Wednesday, September 6th. I'm Chris Manning, that is Brendan Clean. If you haven't already, give us a follow and a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice, and make sure you hit subscribe on the Just Basketball Fans YouTube channel. Want to tell you about our friends at Homage as well. Homage is an ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company with NBA and WNBA licenses that use vintage-inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. Use the link below in our show notes to make your purchase and support the Just Basketball Show jam-packed show today. At the end of the show, we have Ku Khalil from the Locked on Pistons podcast helping us preview the Detroit Pistons and talk about Jalen Duran and Kate Cunningham and what Monty Williams is going to bring to Detroit. We're also going to preview the Houston Rockets in this one. Uh, We do, though, are going to lead today's show talking about the Warriors and Joe Lacob talking about Klay Thompson. And we're going to talk about some unfortunate news affecting the New Orleans Pelicans. But a quick FIBA update. No, not a ton here to say in the Paolo Bancaro Bowl. Uh, USA cruise. Paolo himself had very little to say about the Paolo Bancaro Bowl. Uh, no commented his way right out of that one. Respect. I, I respect that as much as I'm sure he probably has more to say. He didn't just want to say. Um, and then Serbia won. It beats Lithuania. And then as you're listening to this, probably... Assumedly, you're not like a sycophant listening to us at like three in the morning in like the Eastern time zone or something. Canada, Slovenia, which is a highly anticipated game in our little corner of the universe with Shea and Luca and everything going on there will be done. But that game is coming. Some clarity about how the USA's final bracket here is going to stack up. What that's going to look like for them is coming. We'll be breaking down this as they go for the But Brendan, all I have to say is for you for the USA to just crush Italy coming off the loss they had. Pretty just needed thing as like a palate cleanser. They responded very nicely. I just, seeing Lithuania lose, uh, farewell. It was nice knowing you. It was sad to watch you beat our team for 40 minutes on a random morning uh, on Labor Day, but, or Sunday, but... Did you well, uh, did you see the that FIBA, they, they did a SpongeBob meme like tweet? Did you see this? I didn't. I'm gonna, I'll send it I to was going to talk about a different tweet, which is how I will always remember Lithuania's run in this tournament, which was my own uh, meme on Rudy Gobert because he had this whole soliloquy about how FIBA basketball, it's just way harder to score. It's just you have to be able to process and read things at such a higher level. Um, that coming right after Lithuania put up 110 points on the USA in a 40-minute FIBA game just felt incredibly goofy. I laughed a lot at Rudy Gobert, and we will always remember the first quarter that Lithuania's shooters had against the USA. Good riddance. Yeah. You got your SpongeBob thing? Yeah, I sent it to you in our chat here on StreamYard. Got it. Okay. I don't, this isn't something I need to talk about anymore, but it just, I'm like, I can't, someone like clearly was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to get some fire off this morning amid a very like professional looking you know. It's probably a uh, English-speaking, maybe European or American person running this account, which means that they are up at ungodly hours creating this content for all of us on X.com, so uh, they can have all the fun they want. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll have more to talk about with FIBA definitely by the next time we talk, because there will be a lot of games between now and then. 
lot of games. Very excited. Let's move on to the Golden State Warriors. Ever heard of them? Uh, Warriors owner Joe Lacob was on Tim Kawakami's podcast over at The Athletic and was asked about Clay Thompson's future. He was asked about Steve Kerr's future as well. We'll talk about that. But I think the Clay one had a little more meat, at least on the quotes as, as presented. Yeah, he was asked if he sees Clay being on the Warriors in the for the future. Basically, is he going to get an extension? And he said, I do. We've had some very brief discussions at this point with his agent, but they're very, very early. Then there's an ellipsis, so there's a, a break in the quote there. I fully expect that we'll have some substantial discussion soon sometime, and we'll see if we can't put something together that allows Clay to be here for a long time, which we would clearly like him to be. Brendan, when you see these quotes, you see what Joe Lacob has to say in a public setting. What do you make of this? It doesn't surprise me. I think with the decision to keep Draymond Green, to trade away Wiseman, to trade away um, and just move on from their two timelines, which is a term that already feels like completely dead and buried. Let's stop saying it. That they... They, they made their bet here. They are going to ride this ship as far as it can go with the big three that got them for championships and that, you know, made them as a franchise legendary and put all of them in the Hall of Fame and all the rest. So to me, you know, choosing Draymond over Jordan Poole and all what happened this offseason just sort of solidified that to me. The fact that they're going to extend further than that by retaining Clay does not shock me. Really... To me, where I look is, what does Clay think about this? Because I don't think Joe Lacob is saying yes for the max or anything. And I don't think Clay wants the max. But where's that middle ground? What is the number? And how do both sides come to an agreement? Draymond, to his credit, has actually always been fairly compromising in terms of he's never been maxed out. He always seems to sign contracts that, you know, pundits come away being like, pretty good deal for both sides. Clay did get maxed out the last time, despite his injury, um, but he had a 58 true shooting last year. He was a positive and, you know, most like all-in-one offensive stats, box plus minus or whatever you want to look at. And he wasn't too much more of a negative than he's been for, frankly, most of his career in terms of how those stats view him. So at this point to me, Clay Thompson is a st- like below average starter is that like fully disrespectful i mean to be a starter in the nba is a lot i say say below average starter is not like a knock on him but that's probably where i would put him so that's like what 20 25 million a year is he okay with that his body has been through a lot there's no denying that he's just been through a lot and that's that's gonna diminish his ceiling anymore you know it wouldn't shock me if at some point in another playoff run you did get one more, a couple more vintage, just clay flamethrower games. Yeah. But it, it's not going to happen with the same regularity. And defensively, he's not going to be the same guy anymore. And I think that that you kind of need to build in some financial flexibility if you're going to allow Clay and Draymond and, and Steph, most importantly, to contend as they go forward. Brendan, this, this, though, just made seeing these quotes made me happy. <laughs> Here's why. We are going to get to see the Warriors, presumably, get to actually like go out on their shield in some way, and which is something we don't really ever get to see in team sports. You don't really get to see it like in anything. Like you know, it's, whether it's soccer, someone leaves. Whether it's the NBA, someone demands a trade or leaves for agency or gets hurt, and it, and it cuts an era short. You actually have a chance here, even if it doesn't end in a storybook ending where 
where at age 40, Steph Curry is holding up the Larry O'Brien trophy for one last time and then retires. Like, that's not like a lock here. That's pretty unlikely to happen because that's just projecting so far out. But, like, I don't need to see Clay Thompson in a Washington Wizards jersey. I don't need to see Clay Thompson, like, wearing a Clippers jersey or something, right? Like, I just want to see Clay Thompson be on the Warriors and get to finish his career and get to see those three guys compete together. That makes me happy. Love that. Agreed. Hope we can continue to see it in whatever the next era of the NBA is. You know, we keep talking about how that is never going to happen again or is is waning as a priority for players and for ownership and everything else. Hope, hopefully it doesn't uh, wane. But with Clay, I also think the reality of the situation with how Jonathan Kaminga plays, with how Moses Moody plays, with, frankly, even how Andrew Wiggins plays, like, you might vary in your view of how good of shooters they can be, or in Wiggins' case, how good of a shooter he already is. But even as he ages into his late 30s, I think Clay Thompson, on the last contract he may ever sign, which will be the next one, will provide value for the way this team is built because of that. He, even as a player who is like Joe Harris or something, that's going to be important for how this team looks. Even if he's just standing in the corner, running around a little bit off ball, doing some stuff in transition and guarding like the third best player, or fourth best player on the opposing team, and maybe even struggling to do that. Like, again, I'm describing a player who gets paid in this league and who has value in this league. So I think that, you know, again, the way that they've gone about building and rebuilding this group around Stefan Draymond, he's still has like an actual basketball skill set that's going to matter for them. So uh, it, it feels good all the way around. Um, what did you want to hit on the, on the curse side of this? Because to me, he just has a stamp until he's done. Yeah, I just think it's re- I just think it's another one of those things where it's like we intend to do this. There was no hedging. I just think that part of it is it's less yeah. newsworthy. It's less of a hook. But like I. I'm curious, you know, you've kind of talked about this, I think, more than me, but, you know, you've wondered if there's some point just Kerr, like, want to go into the front office and does someone else, like, become the head coach of this team? And, like, who would that be? I kind of just, that that also doesn't feel totally right to me, you know? Like, I, I get that that happens, and I think sometimes if it's good for Steve Kerr at some point health-wise or, like, what he wants to do with his life, I you can't really begrudge him. Mm-hmm. But there's already been change there with Mike Dunleavy comes in. Yeah. And Bob Myers is gone. There's already some of the deep... The, I don't think Bob Myers would even say he was like the same importance to the franchise as these guys have been. Like those guys are the culture. So I like that those guys are still in place because even if the stuff above you change, if you have the core of this just pulling all these levers on the court and, and game to game... That matters a lot. I, I just think I would trust that to work longer if Kerr's the one, like still pulling the buttons and having yeah. those relationships with Draymond. Like it, like if if we if Steve Kerr retired tomorrow from the NBA, Brendan, and they hired pick pick any coach, pick an assistant, pick another head coach that Kenny you know is looking for a job. Okay, Kenny Atkinson takes the job. The first question any of us would have, and Steve Kerr would even tell you how difficult that it has been for him at times, I'm sure. It's like, how does he work with Draymond? Like, what is this? What is the Draymond part of this look like? And then yeah. it's like, okay, how does does he have the same kumbaya-ness with Clay? Does he, how does the Curry support? Even if those guys know Kenny Atkinson or whomever that coach might be, it's different. It just will be different. So I just kind of like the idea that Kerr 
maybe at some point he does go to the front office after these guys are gone, but it seems like maybe we might get to see all of these guys just run it out together. That's so yeah. rare we shouldn't take that for granted. No, it, it, we shouldn't, but I think that's what's going to happen at the very least. Curry's under contract through 2026. Wiggins and Draymond both have player options that season um, or that summer. We would imagine Clay's next contract could even actually go further. That's probably the one interesting part of Clay's contract on top of the money is just do they actually go longer than like a two plus one, one plus one with him? He might want that, but he's also 33, and you know they don't want to have Clay Thompson's contract on the books like three years past anyone else's. But point being, I think Kerr will stay at least until that summer, and then he'll probably evaluate his future depending on what the rest of these guys do. And I think that's totally reasonable, but he's also only 57, and it sounds... Like, we haven't heard about the back stuff in quite a while. I, I don't want to speak like I know that he's healthy, but he's not stepping away anymore, which was frequent for a time there. So that seems like it's, you know, on the right track. And he's getting this Olympic and national team stuff out of the way, which I'm sure has been a dream of his and, you know, hopefully ends in a gold medal. So he's going to be rounding toward whatever his next chapter is too. And, you know, by that point, he might have four championships as a coach, few more as a player and a gold medal. Like maybe he doesn't see the need to keep, you know, traveling around for half the year every year and, and trying to, you know, chase the grind anymore, which I don't think anyone would fault him for. Yeah. And I, I, I tend to think that Steve Kerr seems like someone who probably has like a very robust 401k waiting <laughs> for him when he does decide to retire. And it, just the thought. Yeah, I think he's a 401k guy. Yeah, he's a big uh, big finance head listening to crypto podcasts probably. Is that how you have him? No, I think more of just like a pragmatist, you know? Yeah. Um, a big budget guy probably has a really detailed like Google sheet. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not him though. His his people. I mean, he is a guy. Yeah. yeah. No, he is like like I. He have has share team. access. He has editor access on the Google yeah. Doc, but he's not trying to like update yeah. it. And they're like, hey, man, they're checking Copot, and they're like, hey, man, like, what, what was this, like, expense at Carbone in Miami? And he's like, don't worry, I'm getting, that's, I have, I have per diem, okay, that's getting comped. He just became an owner of the uh, Spanish second division team that Robert Sarver had to sell because he's a racist. I thought one you were about the, to say he, I thought One of the minority he, owners of the Suns kept the team, took over the majority stake in it, and then sold a minority stake to Kerr as, like, you know, just keeping the sun's tree going. Not sh- fully sure how I feel about how all that changes hands when somebody gets in trouble and you're like, somebody's still getting kickbacks. I'm not too sure, but you know, it's it's football. It's not the biggest deal. Well, look, I I thought you were about to say he was one of these pe- these athletes we have or people in sports that have like invested in professional pickleball, and I'm like, that's actually no. going to diminish my that's going to diminish Steve Kerr's legacy in my opinion. All right, um, I look play pickleball, but like, are we really like making? Have this you a played pro pickleball? Sport? I do. I have. I have a pickleball. I tried it for the first time a few weeks ago, and I'm trying to get my friend to go back with me. Pretty fun. Pretty good workout. Uh, Good good little cardio. Would you like to play? Would you like to go run up on some fools when you're here in Cleveland? We can we can play. If the goal or like uh, bar is to run up on fools, I have some practicing to do. But if the question is just what I like to play, then sure, yes. Run up, on, yeah. I'll bring a thirty rack of like Gansett, like lager, this beautiful Rhode Island cheap lager, and we can play some pickleball and have some beers. Yeah, I'm not hustling like Jack Harlow did. I'm just playing. Okay, just uh, would out you there. use your right? So is your right hand when we like have like your stunt double come in? Would it be the right one? Right hand all the time. I typically don't switch because I know which one is the right one, but. Yeah, I guess if we were shooting a film about it, maybe we'd get it wrong. But, you know, 
that probably not because that's a pretty easy thing. Jack Harlow, left-handed. Yeah. We're also not getting a movie made about our pickleball. No, we're not. All right, moving on. We're moving not. on to Trey Murphy. Trey Murphy, the, the New Orleans Pelicans yeah. are they cursed? Is is the first question here, but he has a left meniscus injury. He suffered this on Tuesday. Further testing will be required to see whether he will need surgery or not. Um, a surgical procedure per the Hispanic article with Silent Murphy for the first few months of the season. And he could miss less time. Uh, we're not sure that'd be six to eight weeks. But this is, Brendan, such a promising player. This is one of the most interesting pieces to me within the hierarchy of the West next year, just as someone that could really break out in a big way for a team that could be on the up and up. And this is just an absolute punch in the gut as we're getting ready for the season. It also just happens to be the team that has the biggest injury risk in the NBA as their most famous player. Yeah, the curse part is, I mean, it's Zion, but it's also, you know, they got out of the Lonzo ball business early, but he was here. Anthony Davis has had some issues. Omer Oshik, going back even further, basically was like medically not cleared to play basketball. And they got like one of those like full exemptions on his contract once upon a time. This is the organization that used to meld its training staff with the New Orleans Saints once upon a time and just had to fire the very well-renowned Aaron Nelson, who helped rehabilitate Michael Red and Shaq and different guys in Phoenix once upon a time because he didn't seem to see eye-to-eye with Zion. So health and the New Orleans Pelicans uh, don't really seem to go together. This feels very much like the Chet Holmgren thing last summer. I hate these non-competitive, non-NBA-sanctioned, just working out or playing pickup or doing whatever injuries, they're the worst because it just feels very avoidable. But as it relates to Trey Murphy specifically, huge bummer for him. I think he's heading into year three, right? So this would have been his last year before he's extension eligible. That sucks. Uh, I might have that wrong. Is this year two or year three for him? Um, I believe it is year three, but here's the thing. This is time is not real half the time. I'm pulling this up. Um, well, I can just speak to the basketball side too. That feels so, okay. Extra. This is only this is this is only year three. He came in yeah. at age twenty one, age twenty two. He's now twenty three years old. So he'll be extension eligible after this year, and then obviously yep. hits restricted free agency the following year. So not the end of the world, but that's a, a subplot that I'm sure he's thinking about for better or worse. That's just how this stuff goes. But you know, from a basketball standpoint, uh, this roster. I don't necessarily want to say surprisingly, maybe it's not a surprise to everybody, but they don't have a lot of shooting anymore. They have kind of just moved things around and drafted young guys in such a way where, you know, CJ can shoot. Ingram is inconsistent as a catch and shoot guy. Doesn't always really play that role. Herb Jones is not a great shooter. Larry Nance is not a great shooter. Obviously Zion is not a a shooting player. Dyson Daniels, um, that's like their whole rotation. And then they have two centers who don't really shoot threes in Valanchunas and Cody Zeller. So Murphy figured to be like their only legit, awesome 40 plus percent guy. And he's not going to miss the whole season, even if he has to get the more extensive delay on this. You know, the I think it's the repair that requires the longer rehab process. 
even if he does that, he'll be back at some point this year, but you don't know for sure what you're getting. Regardless, however long it takes until then, they're going to really miss him, and they're going to really suffer in their half-court offense as a result of not having him out there to space the floor. This team just continually gives us reasons, Brendan, to just not feel optimistic about them. And, like, it's not anything that I even feel it's, like, based on their play or based on... It's just, like... Like, where does Zion? Is Trey Murphy's, like, knee going to keep him out eight, two months? So, like, he's out until the end of November, let's say? Or is he out until April? Like, what is the timeline here? Like, this... And if you lose a whole year of Trey Murphy, you're not... You can't just, like... Okay, it's not like this is your eighth guy. This is, like, maybe your third most important player in your team next season. And, like, yes, does this give maybe give Dyson Daniels room to step in or, or Herb Jones more of a chance? Jordan Hawkins to, would be the guy yeah. I would look at because he's, yeah. Yeah. he's kind of the, the shooter. The one-to-one, right? Yeah, he's he's the, the guy they bring in, but he's also just coming in. Like, this isn't exactly a situation where, like, rookies aren't good, and he's also a little smaller, and, like, it's not... It's not really a one-to-one, because Hurt Murphy is this big kind of forward, and Hawkins feels more of like a traditional two to me, and he's 6'5", yeah. and not like... And then, six, like you said. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I just continually get very sad about the New Orleans Pelicans, and I just, like, want them to figure it out, because if they can just figure this out, there's something really awesome just waiting here to be unleashed upon the league. Pierre the Pelican will be keeping people up at night for the playoffs, and instead... It's just like a bunch of blah. And it, this feels like they're getting cut off at the knee, fit literally and figuratively, before the season even really gets going. Yeah, it, it's it's a bummer. But again, he will be back at some point. And, you know, but like, end but of the again, day. But like the non-surgery thing makes me queasy. Like that always makes me queasy when they're like, yeah, he can just not get surgery on this. That always makes me a little bit nervous at something. And they haven't decided happen. yet, right? No, but it's like if he if that's the option and then it's like... Like, I almost just, like, you never know. Injuries are uncontrollable. I just want, give me the path that I, you actually feel like there's a, he's going to be good for the long term instead of, like, getting him back on the court. And I think at the end of the day, like, they probably will do that. I think a lot, I mean, it's the same thing as Shohei Otani's agent coming out and saying, like, he's for sure going to keep pitching. It's like, okay, well. Let me know when he takes the mound again, right? It's like, let me know when he actually, when Trey Murphy actually doesn't get surgery. Uh, But yeah, I I guess like what I was going to say is end of the day, the biggest question is still Zion. And if you get the right outcome there, if he is healthy, if he does bounce back, your off your half court offense is going to be fine. <laughs> like he, uh, you know, we talked about this. Koo was talking about Cade Cunningham being an offense unto himself. That's a maybe. We know Zion is. So if they get a healthy Zion, it's just the luxury of having a great player like that. That Trey Murphy's absence will feel a whole lot less worrisome. But you know, there's a lot of ifs there. Well, there's just so many ifs with that team, and this just bummer. All right, let's move on to the Houston Rockets, Brendan. Season preview number two. A team that has aggressively spent money for competency. A kind of a theme today that both of the teams we're talking about have kind of made plays to not become contenders overnight, but are trying to go from being really bad to like respectable, I think is kind of the, the, the energy with Houston specifically. And but both with the with Thompson later. twins on them. Other both connective with, tissue between these two teams randomly. Yes, both with Thompson Twins. Uh, Brennan, let's start with our first category, most important player. So I I want you to go first on this because I think there are two ways you could answer this. Okay. 
and I'm curious to I want to see what path you take first to see if I feel crazy for the one that I've taken. Well, so as we've discussed now, and this is only the third one we've recorded. We already recorded the Pistons one. Sorry, everybody. Um, we try to guess what one another are going to do here. And so I might have gotten too cute because <laughs> we have Shock to talk about Jalen Green. So if yeah. neither of us picked him, we're going to have to have three here. But I picked so Alper I and Shengun. Okay, so you're you're I you you galaxy brain this. I have Jalen Green for our second category, so we'll okay, get to him. Great. I, I I went Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, I thought you. I once you said there's two. I just feel like maybe we've been doing this podcast for long enough that I just knew you were talking about Fred Van Vliet. So then I started to worry. But if you have Jalen so, Green in the next category, then let's just start with Shengun. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's talk about Alperin Sengun, who is this offensive wizard of a center who also I think there are still very fair, massive questions about what he is as a defender. Yes. To me, the reason he's the most important player is that they need to find out if he's a 30-plus minute per game starting center long-term. Because if he's not, that is a that is a position you need to fill. It's not going to be Jock Landale, and they don't have any other young players that can kind of fill that spot. And so it starts to... Maybe the answer isn't a young building block. Maybe they go out and get a stopgap. Maybe they're the next team to sign Clint Capella and have a reunion there. Whatever it is, but you have to figure that out. And to your point, I think Shengun has questions as a defender, yes, but he's not as bad as a of one as I think the perception would indicate. He fouls a lot. Four plus fouls per 36 minutes both seasons. He did go down like half a foul per 36 last year, but that's still too many. Um, but if you look at a lot of the advanced stats, like he grades out in well in terms of like contests, blocks per 100 possessions, per 75 possessions, whatever. He's pretty strong. Like I went back and watched their game against the Pelicans. Solid strength in the post against Valanchunas in that matchup, like made me feel pretty good. And he allegedly has grown two inches. Did you see this storyline? No, but I, he's, I look. He's I love, the headliner I, I of the him. like grew or muscle watch or whatever. It's Shengun grew from six nine to six eleven. That's like all Rockets Twitter can talk about. I love asking NBA players who like that has happened to because you always get a funny reaction out of it. Like it's I, like I don't know if honest. Once upon a time, obviously the biggest example. Well, like I, I, I asked. I, I'm gonna get the bell for this. I should. But I, I, like the year you and I were at Summer League, I asked Darius Garland this, and he had these sunglasses on. It was the only time I knew his eyes lit up because he started laughing and just looked at me like, what? People are, are saying, so that grew? And he looked very delighted by this. But he didn't. I don't think he actually did. I, I hope he didn't grow because if what he grew to is what he is now, then he was real small once upon a time. Um, yeah. But... Yeah. No, I Sangoon think... Sangoon being taller would be... A, I mean, that like, honestly, just from a pure rim protection, like... Yeah. Him being able to just, like, be someone who... Like, he's never going to be someone that is going to, like, blitz or come up and hedge or do some of the stuff like Bam or Jerry. Well, he might have to right? because, like, Jokic and Sabonis have to do that because it's kind of the only thing they're good at. But I think he's more athletic than both those guys. Yeah, but I kind of think, like, the safest thing for some of those centers at times is if they're strong enough just to, like, let them play drop. And, and look, when they're young. And when they're young, and there's, there's look, there's also the question here. Like, this is an Ime Udoka coach team now. What yeah. did he build? What did he build his coaching reputation on when he was with the Celtics? It was turning that defense into just like an absolute monster with, with certain. But the, the rim protection stuff doesn't kind of analog one-to-one here. Yeah, so I mean, I, he switched I, in Boston, right? So it's like they're going to be different. Well, and he also could play Horford and Time Lord together. Like, are we going to see Landell and Sangoon together? I would, I would venture no. 
No, but I think uh, potentially Jeff Green could factor in as a guy who could help uh, Shen Goon. How many people do you think out there know Jeff Green's on the Rockets? I forgot, so not a lot. Yeah. I, lo- um, I love him. I think the other thing with Shen Goon, real quick, is... I actually think he needs to be more aggressive as a scorer was one of the things going back and watching them. He only averaged 13, only attempted 13 field goal attempts per 36 minutes, actually just under 13 last season. And I think especially just bombing threes when they're there in the pick and pop. Like he plays so much pick and pop and dribble handoff stuff with green. He'll, he'll do the same. I think his two man game with Van Vliet's going to be awesome. Um, and when, when the defense sags off of him, cause they're trying to take away cutters and take away whatever might be coming downhill when he's orchestrating and initiating on the perimeter, defenses are going to drop off of that. Take the jumper. He, he's actually comfortable with it, like around the free throw line and stuff, but take the threes if they're there. So that's an easy way for that field goal attempts per 36 to go up is just take a few more threes. But I would say even beyond that, fake dribble handoff into a drive, go back up with the offensive rebound when you get it. Like the unselfishness is huge and it's a big part of what makes him great, but he's a good scorer. He has touch. He has athleticism more than, you know, some of these guys we're talking about who are the white European guys. So like take advantage of that the way European guys. Yeah. All right. So go to Fred. Van I mean, he's been compared to Jokic, which shows how uncreative we are. Like, come on. Yeah. I look, I, there was like a point when Sangoon was a rookie that I started really liking him. And then like Rockets Twitter started being like, is he better than Evan Mobley? And then they've raised that to like, is he better than Nicole Jokic? And I'm like, guys, can you relax and just like, enjoy the fact that you have one of the wackiest, most like ambitious passers we have in the league for like five seconds before you worrying about wondering about this. Yeah, and let's get to Van Vliet, but I would say on the Jokic comparison, what what opened Jokic's game up and made the Nuggets just unstoppable is even Jokic had to learn the lesson of like, brother, when there's a shot there, you're an incredible basketball player, go ahead and take it. You know, and so I think like Shingun suffers from a little bit of that too. You know, Dario Saric is another example of that. Like these guys have that unselfishness built into them and it's like take it, you know. So I hope you know, Adoka and everything else can can kind of unlock that from him, but we'll see. Um, I think I think again, the two man f- uh, game with Van Vliet's going to be awesome. So that's a perfect segue. Uh, the two man stuff's going to come up later with Jalen Green as well. Just as cool. a, a heads up, I was very fascinated by that and in, in rewatching some stuff. All right, Fred Van Vliet. This is a very simple argument here for me, Brendan. He's the guy that I think we are thinking about as like the the literal embodiment of how does this team like become more adult. He's going to be the one as the coach on the floor, the organizer for Udoka. He was brought in, I think, to just like do that. He got like a ton of money and he's Mm -hmm. coming in to be the adult on this team. I don't think this isn't getting this. The situation is being there's money being spent to raise the floor and I'll give the young guys more support. That's what this is. He is the, the, the tip of that spear and this doesn't get better unless Fred Van Vliet is what he's getting paid to do. Yeah, the back of Van Vliet's jersey should say not James Harden and I think everybody will just celebrate i think also what it should show in like on the basketball reference page minutes per game it should just show no longer coached by nick nurse it doesn't even have to have a number the fact that he's not going to have to play 38 minutes per game is going to be a godsend for him i think and you're going to get even more out of this guy um have you seen the videos of him showing jalen green how to exercise yes these were good too uh Here's was, the thing, I already, honestly. Alpi, that's what they call Shengun. Yeah. I was going to say, Alpi growing two inches and and Fred showing Jalen how to lift weights was just like a banner summer for Houston. Okay, I got a 
come back to the weights in a second. Are you are you anti saying Wemby? Obviously, we're there on the record as we're a t- we're a Vic pod, but you're pro Alpi. No, I'm never saying Alpi again. I just wanted to kind okay, of make yeah, fun of them for being it's, ridiculous. It's not, that that sounds worse than than Wemby. It does because it's the first name. I think that's part of the issue there. Um, okay. okay, but it's like, but I no, think Jalen Green, but like Jay, no, but Jalen Green getting to like be mentored willingly or yeah. unwillingly by the guy who like was like I'm betting on myself at every instance of his career. That rub, that seeing that up close, learning how to like be a pro from Fred Van Vliet is an amazing thing for Jalen Green to me. Absolutely. And I think basketball-wise, um, he will... I was just thinking, watching them, watching Jalen Green, and I'm going to try to go through this as much as possible without throwing shade at somebody who I don't think is in their future, which is Kevin Porter Jr., we can just get his name out of the way. He okay. does not make good basketball decisions on either end of the court. I do not think he's going to be long for this team. Maybe there is a good team he can join and become a sixth man and have it work out. He's not the point guard of the future here. He's going to lose minutes to Fred, and I think he held Jalen Green back. But I don't just think it'll be... I think there's a perception that Fred being there will just organize their offense, allow them to initiate stuff more uh, patiently and more efficiently and everything else and that Jalen Green is just going to be taken to the next level by getting to become a a knockdown shooter and run off the ball and cut and run out and transition and do all this stuff. I think that it'll be equally important or close to equally as important that Fred will just be a good secondary decision maker and spot up shooter and all this stuff. I think there will be plenty of times when Jalen still has the ball in his hands. And I think that's just as big for his future as getting to play off the ball a little bit. I think both will help his development quite a bit. So I think the Fred thing just like they knocked it out of the park, I think. And they got a team option on the last year of this. Like that might be one of the better moves of the whole off season, honestly. Yeah. I, uh, it's kind of fascinating to me that like they, the player option part of that, I just find kind of interesting. Like, or the team option, excuse me, how that happened. I would kind of love to know. Cause they um, gave him $41 million this year. So they're like, we'll pick, we'll decide if we give it to you two years from now. Yeah, but you get two years out of him. I think that's fine. All right, let's go into player what we talk about at the end of the season. I think it's yeah. Jalen Green, Brendan, one way or the okay. other. I don't think this is the end-all, be-all for him, but I think this is the year where we need to see some leveling up from him to kind of see if he's going to keep up with the guys in his class. He has all the potential in the world, but I do think right now he's behind Scotty. He's behind Evan Mobley. He's behind Cade as far as the the stars of that class. He's not at that level right now. He hasn't proven to be. He has to become way more efficient. He's one of the least efficient players we have at a high usage rate right now. He has to get better as a creator for others. We know we can get to the rim and get a shot off whenever he wants. He's been a dreadful creator for others so far. I, I think this has to be a year where he... I think really grows up as a player, as a as a lead kind of creator in this league. If it's going to happen to the level I think it could with his potential, I think it's case. And I th- I think like this summer and just everything that they've done in terms of like making this a more adult situation, getting him a real point guard, and now there's a coach whose whole thing is really accountability, at least in a basketball sense. <coughs> like I think this, <laughs> I think <Stop>. this. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. It, it is a little bit of an oxymoron to say that and not. not it, have the it, I'm sorry. It, it, it's it. I couldn't just like say that and not like it's it's. Yeah. Okay, but like for J, like Jalen Green, like like everyone that they have that is young and like part of their future, Jabari Smith, you know, everyone will benefit. 
he's the number one guy that this should be done in mind with to get him to elevate his game to a level that you drafted him to be at. Full stop. Yeah, I think I believe in the passing. And I just feel like I believe in the shooting, even if maybe he's never going to be like 40%. um, But he's like an 80% free throw shooter. He seems like he has good touch. He makes all sorts of different circus shots and everything else. I have a hard time believing he won't improve as a shooter when the looks are cleaner, when there's not so many pull-ups, when he just settles into a role on a good team with a better playmaker next to him and all the rest so I think those skills will come along I kind of don't have a lot of questions about his offense overall I actually think he can play a secondary role I mean if you can coexist next to Kevin Porter for as long as he did again like that's just a I mean and not even like honestly let me take this a a step further because one of the things I had in my notes watching them again is everybody on the damn team thought that they were the best playmaker and creator on the team Josh Christopher Jay Sean Tate Kenyon Martin Jr., Jabari Smith, Eric Gordon, all these guys thought the ball should be in their hands or that their best step to their next contract was for the ball to be in their hands. So, like, to me, he came out the other side looking fine. And, like, as the context around him improves, I think he'll be fine. He cuts. He offensive rebounds. He uses athleticism. Like, just lean into more of that. The shooting will come. Passing will come. I wonder about him defensively. Yes. But... They, they added a lot of stuff where his job defensively will probably be go guard the guy who's standing in the corner. Also, Udoka's going to demand he like actually tries, and that it alone will, should give you some positive... Yeah, but like trying for him will be like, hey, uh, peel into the into the paint and swipe at the ball handler as he drives, and then go like recover I, to the corner, and like that'll be all the effort you have to put in, and that'll count, and you'll get a green star, a gold sticker when you when we watch film. Like he's not going to have to do a lot, and like that's probably for the best for him, but it really is going to help him, I think, and it'll hide the thing he's worst at. But I, I just think even that would be just like a like that being a requirement would be such an improvement on what Houston was last year. Well, and it just begs the question, and like maybe this goes into the guy that I have, which is Amon Thompson, uh, as far as who we're going to be talking about. Um, is like I don't know how they're going to play defense. We talked about it with Shengun, but you know, again, I think Udoka's instincts are to switch. They played that way in Brooklyn when he was like a high ranking assistant uh, during some of the Kyrie KD time. And then obviously that's how he coached the team up in Boston. So that seems to be his instinct, but I don't think you really want to do that with Jalen green. I don't think you really want to do that with Fred Van Vliet. And I don't think you really want to do that with, um, with Shen Goon. So I wonder what is a more like basic traditional defense look like, do you really hire Udoka to institute something like that? I don't know. Um, but I guess to pivot to Amon Thompson, if you're well, just the, cool. The, the, last thing, the last thing I want to say about Jalen Green, yeah, the two-man game with Sangoon has the potential to just be unstoppable. Mm-hmm. They're give-and-go action. The, like Sangoon's ability to for him to get an entry pass from Jalen Green or someone else and for Jalen Green to kind of cut towards the ball and then finish, the sky's the limit on that just being one of the hardest plays to stop in the league full stop because Jalen Green is that athletic and Sagoon is that good of a passer. I want that to just like work better than I felt that it worked last year. And I think with better spacing, I think better structure, I think that's going to come. And I think you're going to see a bunch of highlights this year where Jalen Green is on the receiving end of a pass from Sangoon and that just kind of gets whipped out of nowhere and then he's dunking on somebody's head. I really think we're just going to see a ton of that this year and it's going gonna, it's gonna to absolutely whip. Love it. Um, Amen Thompson. I, I, this, like, 
there are statements I make when we're doing this podcast where I feel like I have to hedge and like I'm already feeling nervous because I see it in my notes. But to me, like straight up, the peak version of Amen Thompson does not have a comparison point in the entire history of basketball. With his combo of IQ and athleticism, functional athleticism, game-changing, game-impacting athleticism, unselfishness, the way he plays as like a more athlete, like it's not even, it's not even like descriptive enough to say that he's a more athletic Lonzo Ball or a more athletic Josh Giddy type because those guys aren't really athletic. Like he's maybe he's Russell Westbrook in a bigger frame who plays like those guys. Like that's what the best version of this dude can be. And I don't know what that looks like to become the best player on a great team in the modern NBA because of the importance placed on shooting and rightly so. And the fact that he's not a big man and all that stuff. But if he just figures it out and I tend to lean toward with talent that he will, that guys like him just make an impact on basketball games. We're talking about like, holy shit, you can do that type of player. Was that, did I wax enough there? I am just, I am very curious. I am very curious to see how he, as well as his brother, do acclimate. Because I I don't know what the learning curve is going to look like. That's kind of why I went the way I did with answering this question. It's because I think you are correct. I don't think you're being too hyperbolic about this. Because I think he is part of this transition of... Like, every generation, like, the guys coming up, like, are obviously influenced by who just... Who we're seeing at their apex right now. But then there's their own twist on it. And he's kind of, like, one of the guys that I feel like kind of fits... Like, he's getting twisted of some of the archetypes we've seen. But I wonder if this is, like, he's my answer to this... Not this, not in the spring of 2024, but in the spring of 2025. Sure. Yeah, maybe that's true. I think, like, to me, he just feels like why I would bet on. I mean, one, he'll be he'll be the internet favorite. He'll be the kids' favorite. He'll be that, even if he's not a winning player this year. Um, but like, it's cool. What's so cool to me? One, I looked back. He shot 66 percent from two last season at overtime elite. So. The blueprint's kind of already there. He he was twenty five percent from three, sixty six percent from two. So if you're wondering, like, does he is his game going to open up enough for him to be able to actually even put the ball in the basket at all? OTE, you know, whatever. Not the highest level of competition, but um, it's 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 shown itself. He was phenomenal in the summer league game, um, but. It's just cool to me that he's. It's like kind of reclaiming the version of player who didn't fit in the more condensed version of basketball that we saw like 20 years ago who didn't have a place because they couldn't create well enough they didn't really do enough in the half court on either end but now it's almost like if you put them in the right context in the modern nba with how spaced out and fast everything is their lack of shooting can actually not hurt you uh in a way that it used to so i just maybe i'm more interested in him because i think we can like learn stuff about the nba watching him even as soon as this year um, but he's not in my I best think, lineup no i think that's right he's not in my best best lineup either um we can go to that now i'll go first it's fred van vliet it's jalen green it's dylan brooks we haven't talked about it. i don't think we need to talk a ton about but i think like he's in this lineup this is the my hipster part of this i'm gonna go tari eason over okay. jabari smith and i'm gonna go singoon at the five i think you got the two vets 
You got Green as the scorer. I love Eason. I just like think he's going to just... That guy's going to be a playoff quality mainstay for a long time. I feel with, like with him like I feel about Jeremy Stohan, who we talked about in the Spurs preview, where I'm like, sure, they seem to make good stuff happen when they're out there, but it's a big shrug as to like what their role is going to be. That's very fair. I think you could put Jabari Smith in this, and like I think that's reasonable. That's That was the other version of this that I had, but I think it has to be Van Vliet, has to be Green, it has to be Brooks, and it has to be Sengun, and then you pick your poison at the four. Maybe maybe it's Uncle Jeff Green sliding in there, so you got, you got Green next to All right. My best 2024 Detroit, uh, my best 2024 Houston Rockets lineup. I'm going with Fred Van Vliet at the one. I think he's going to make everybody on this team better. I think he is going to make Shangun better. I think he's going to make Jalen Green better. I think he's going to make Ime Odoka very happy. I'm putting Jalen Green in here. They're going to play him a ton, whether they like it or not. He has to succeed for this team to succeed, and I think he will be able to play better off-ball, on-ball, defensively in a better context. Dylan Brooks, put him on the best wing. Let him make everybody's life easier defensively. Hopefully, he doesn't overboard with the shot selection problems and everything else. Go stand in the corner, brother. Do your thing. Jabari Smith Jr. is on this lineup for me. I think that his ability to slide into a more secondary defensive role, use his length to take away the paint, help Shingun out a little bit, switch maybe a little bit as well. That'll go a long way. I think he has more to explore offensively too. I think Van Vliet might help him as well. And then I have Alperin Shingun at the five. I have the player who just makes everybody better. He needs to take strides defensively. He'll need to figure out his new teammates, but you put Changun on the floor if you want your team to be better. That that seems to be what his career has taught us. So that's my five. Yeah, I think I think this is very direct. I think all of this to me feels like the best lineups, regardless of it's a one five or another five, it's gonna be a mix of some of these vets and then young guy, whoever the young guys are that pop. I think that that it's kinda that simple. I think that's the formula here. Yeah. Speaking of, though, uh, lineups where Brooks and Amen are on the floor together. Whew. Nobody's scoring. I'm excited to I just I, I'm really excited to see like Jalen Green and Dylan Brooks interact because I feel like they have opposite personalities. Yeah, but imagine like imagine a lineup where it's like Green, Brooks, Amen, Jabari, Jeff Green, and you just switch everything. That's what Udoka's like fantasizing about. Yeah, and then we're going to be like, are we sure Jeff Green should be playing 30 minutes for the Houston Rockets <laughs> yeah, this please, year? Please bench him, brother. Um, can, can we, Can we like, at that point, can we just get East? Like, at that point, it's like, who's not playing? It's like, all right. All right, uh, best case scenario, want to move to that? Yeah, I have uh, Jalen, Shengun, and Jabari settle into winning roles. Amen makes an impact right away, and Udoka pulls the right strings for them to be the most improved team in the NBA. I have basically the same thing, and I think it's mostly for me about Jalen Green. Does he take a big step forward in real structure, and then they... They are pushing towards the plane. I don't know if they're going to get there. I'm not optimistic about that. Um, but I think they, for their best cases, them being like in the hunt and not eliminated by like March 1st. Yeah. Sounds like I know you might be going with our last category based on that. Um, worst case, I have Jalen gets in his own way. Shangun drags down the defense and major trade rumors start to pop out by January. I have that, and then it's just all the young guys struggle, and then, like, this team gets another high pick, and it's like, what? Like, is there room for another, like... Well, they don't get their pick. That's the, like, underlying thing with all this, right? The Thunder have their pick. That's why they spent and why Tillman got scared. 
So it's but, like, are you headed towards being bad for no purpose and giving away like a prime asset when you still need like a lead guy? Yeah, very similar to the Pistons who we're about to talk about where it's like if if K doesn't work for them, I mean, that's even worse. But like if Jalen Green doesn't hit, okay, you're, you're starting another here, rebuild. Here's just the thing I'll say about these teams as a comparison. I'm way more sure about K than I am Jalen Green. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I just want to be very clear about that. Even I mean, that size, out. that's passing ability, that shooting ability. Just the floor of a Cade Cunningham-type player is just way higher. But the ceiling of Jalen Green, probably higher, right? Um, sure. I mean, there's a reason he went ahead of... I mean, there's a reason he went ahead of Mobley and Barnes, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. a reason. Like, I, I remember that draft, Brendan. I was sure that Jalen Green was going to be a Cav that when the draft letter came out, just based on, like, my opinions of those guys... Yeah. And then, like, it was clear a day later, it's like Jalen Green's going two, and he's not even going to work out past two. Well, you got a version of that in Donovan Mitchell, basically, right? I mean. Well, I got the, I got, you got the grown up version with, like, yeah. a motor for days. You the know? one who can make you a top four seed instead of being bad. But I'm just saying, like. Yeah, yeah. They well, obviously like, did yeah. like that type of player, but. Also, yeah, Jay, I mean, Jalen Green, Jalen Green wants to see the benefit of, like, lifting weights. Donovan Mitchell's, like, a pretty good case <laughs> of, like, how much it can help to lift a lot of weights. Well, when does that start to translate to defense? It should this year. I I okay. really think I he is I think just in in the scope of everything going on right there. I think it's going to be a fascinating year for him in like a bajillion ways. You're talking about I was, I, we're talking about Donovan. Junior. Oh, no, 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 Jalen. Oh, no, I was talking about Jalen Green. <laughs> I no threw you off so team. much that you didn't even know who I was talking about. No, that was a dig at Donovan Mitchell not playing defense. <sighs> We'll get there in the Cavs. The Cavs okay, preview, great. Brendan, is good. We, the, the, we got Cavs sons the at the same time. I was gonna, I was gonna say, as a team for listeners, we have the two teams that we primarily cover in our in our markets: Cleveland for me, Phoenix for Brendan, on the same day as we have it scheduled right now. And golly, those are going to be some interesting episodes for very different reasons. All right, I went over. I did as well. Do I what's feel the, good about what's it? What's the number? 29 and a half? 31 and a half? Uh, 31 and a half. I think it's like 32. I think it's like, they're just like a peak over that. Yeah, I probably wouldn't have it hitting too high, too much higher than 31, but um, yeah, statistically they were like two wins better than their actual record last year. I think email alone is probably worth a few wins and their average age might as well be like doubling from last year with the amount of veteran talent that they added. So that enough if, like i mean that's that's what happens when teams spend their cap space and fire everybody and try again like yeah you, you win more games like congrats but you know what does that mean for the future i don't know i i think that might mean they're like portland last portland wins 33 games last year and like are just like kind of nominally with like five games back in the win column back in the win column of dallas who's 11th and seven. like i think that's kind of where this is at and what what you do with that is I think a very open question. I don't know how you like download that just on its face. Yeah. I mean, they kind of have to, this is kind of has to be their team. Yes. Between the money we- and the draft picks and everything else. Like this, this has it, uh, to, this has to hit a ceiling and hopefully that ceiling is a championship, but like it doesn't really feel like they're going to add a, another great lottery pick or, I mean, maybe eventually they could like sign or trade for a superstar, but not anytime soon. You bring soon. James back. Just bring James back. <laughs> I think Ime who has uh, has downvoted that one into oblivion. I think that's a no. What are the one of one of the things that when that reporting came out that we didn't talk about it enough? 
Uh, I feel like we should have talked about that. Ime Doka being like, I don't want James Harden and having the sway to talk Tillman out of that. We should have probably talked about that more. He's too smart to talk about it on the record, but I would love to hear like a couple whiskeys in what Ime would say about the first time Tillman brought that idea to his to his office. What was Ime's reaction and Tillman, how many pr- how many profanities were involved in, the, in his Tillman. response? Someone's like, you know, I know you, you like to switch. Someone like prepped him on this. It was like, this is how you pitch it. It's like, you know, James can defend up. He is strong and he's got a, a strong base. Yeah, you, you like to spread the floor and shoot threes. Like, what about James like running running the spread offense for us? Like, what do you think? And Ime's just looking at him, blank stare, nothing. And, Are you done? And then Tillman's like, yeah, yeah, what do you think? And then he just... So it's like so he's like the the max. Probably, no I know we can curse on this, but like, I don't even want to get started with what probably came out of Yame's mouth at that point. No, probably not great. All right, we're gonna transition out of Kukulio Lockdown Pistons. Let's talk about the Detroit Pistons. All right, let's finish up today's show with another edition in our team preview series. We have Kukulio from Lockdown Pistons to talk about the Detroit Pistons. Cool. Thanks for coming through. I think there's only one place we can start with this, and I think we're going to all have the same answer to this question, and that's who's the most important player for the Detroit Pistons this upcoming season. Uh, who's your most important player for the 2023-24 Pistons? Obviously, Kate Cunningham. He ha- if if he's the he's the face of the franchise, former number one overall pick. The Pistons go as far or as as you know as short as he goes. Wherever he ends up, that's where they'll end up. So he's. He's by far their most important player. Not to say there's not other guys on the team that have to be better, etc. But Cade, wherever he goes is where Detroit will go. It's a hard thing to measure, and I know you've talked about it a lot on, on Locked on Pistons and you know just it's, it's it's obvious the dude only played a few games i went back and watched one of them i wouldn't say he was himself even though i think he scored 27 in the game that i watched it didn't feel like he was trying to get to the basket as much as you know i remember and and what he's known for doing and it didn't feel like he had a lot of energy or athleticism going on in, in the way he was playing defense either some of that's bad team stuff but i i think with cade you just expect a higher a higher level and, and i think he will get there it's always hard to measure again with those injuries, but I guess just what does a successful season look like for Cade Cunningham this year to you? What things should he be getting better at? What things can he make better for his teammates? What's it going to look like for him to get back on the court with the new roster? Uh, I think a successful season for Cade this year is an all-star type of season. Doesn't mean he'll make the all-star team, but because I think team record will play a big part in that. Um, but I think he needs to be as a, he needs to be looked at as a player who is an all-star type of basketball player at, in entering his third year, which I think he can get to. Um, he ended his rookie season really, really strong once they finally got a lob threat with him with Marvin Bagley, who Marvin Bagley isn't even all that great of a player, but he's really good as a lob threat, really good around the basket, catches everything around the rim. Um, and Cade really took off with that with spacing around it. And you kind of got the idea of how to build around Cade, at least the Pistons did finally. Um, and then entering his second season, like you said, he was dealing with that shin injury, um, something that he had been dealing with apparently since high school, and it just got worse um, his second year. Um, eventually got that surgery. I, it didn't hamper him at all this offseason um, with his offseason workout. I believe he was um, basically completely healthy either right as the season ended or 
like maybe like a few weeks after it. Um, so he's had his full off season um, to be able to get better and get back to where he wants to be at. He's been obviously he was at the Team USA scrimmages and 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 practices. He's been at a lot of pickup runs down in Florida. He went to Rico Hines runs. Um, so I think he. And everything it looks like I've talked with his brother. Um, I've talked with his trainer. Um, again, like I said, he's completely healthy. They've really been working on his jump shot. His jump shot looks a lot better. He looks like he's getting more lift in his jump shots on. He just wasn't getting this past season on a lot of it, a lot of straight line shots. Um, and with how well he shoots from the mid-range and how well he shoots from the free throw line, I really do think he's going to be a good three-point shooter this year. He was a great one in college. So I think he's going to be a near all-star player this year. I think that would be a great year for him. If he had just, like, if he had not gotten hurt, if this shin thing hadn't derailed last year, right? And he just picks up where he left off, I think, towards the end of that rookie year and had built on that. We would, there would be like no, no, we'd be talking about him, I think, more in basketball broadly, right? Like, as one of the league's most promising players. I think just where things went last year, can you tell me if you feel like this is wrong? I just feel like last year, because he's out of the spotlight for so long and the Pistons got, they just weren't very good. They won 17 games. He just kind of, I think people like to some degree are going to like be like, oh yeah, Kate Cunningham's really good. And we're going to, that's going to be like a thing we hear a lot of when we get to like December. Like that feels very, like that feels like a very likely place this is going to end up. Yeah, I think he's been overlooked a ton, um, which is crazy. I talked about this in the podcast, I think last week. And it's like every other first overall pick gets talked about a lot, whether it's good or bad. Like throughout the year, whether it's, oh, this guy was worthy of the pick, this guy was really good, or this guy's a bust. He's not living up to it. Did they make a mistake? I don't feel like you even got, you don't, you didn't get either of that cage rookie. Like he did, he just didn't get talked about at all. And I, it was kind of weird. Um, so, and I, you know, some Pistons fans will say it's because it's Detroit, um, where he went to play at. Um, maybe plays a lot to it. Um, but it, it was weird to say he just didn't get talked about really at all. Not good or bad. He just was like non-existent. Um, yeah. And then his second year, obviously, the injury really played a part in it. Him not being mentioned and then obviously the team being just awful. Um, they were the worst team in the league last year. So obviously. Um, but I think you're starting to see it like kind of um, make up for itself already this offseason. Uh, there's been a lot of t- and that has to do with the fact that he showed up at Team USA and really balled out. Um, and maybe the media kind of forgot about him, but it doesn't feel like like people within NBA circles did because he was given a Team USA invite to be on the roster. He declined it. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that may, maybe he wasn't hasn't been forgotten about within NBA circles, but the NBA mm-hmm. fan base and media, they definitely have kind of forgotten about him, but it's it's ramping up. I just saw Bleacher Report had him as like 10th in like the top 10 superstars for the next, what, like I think it was like next 10 years, and they have him 10th. Um, I saw multiple other lists already from Bleach Report over the last two weeks. I had him like in the top 10 this and oh, top 10 wings this year or whatever. So he's been getting talked about a lot. So I think they're making up for it a little bit. But yeah, no doubt. I think he's been weirdly covered as a first overall pick. I was actually worried when the Pistons got the first pick and they drafted him that they were going to get too much spotlight and now everything was going to be hyper analyzed and, and now he was going to be talked about nonstop. And he just, it, it was weird. Yeah, I, I had the the shooting thing in my notes with him too, and uh, the other thing I had Ku is, you know, a version of Cade to me who can create his own shot at all three levels, set up teammates consistently, defend multiple positions. Like that's an all star, right? And I think he, it's not crazy to think he can do those things. And and to me, when I think about why he hasn't gotten the the level of attention. Um, 
that maybe comes along with being a number one overall pick. I think it's not even a Pistons thing because I think like John Moran and other guys have shown us no matter where you play, you're probably going to get talked about. Anthony Edwards, same thing, but he's just a quiet dude. Like he's not out there, you know, uh, talking himself up. He hasn't done a JJ Redick or Paul George podcast appearance or anything like that that I've seen. So, you know, I think that helps it. But um, I want to talk about you talked about him getting a role man and getting an athletic finisher. That's where I want to go with the player we're going to be looking at this year. But I have one last question. Yeah, it'll be James Wiseman. Um, But no, I I have one last question on Cade, which is uh, revolves around a person who I have some familiarity with who was added to this team in the offseason, which is Monty Williams. Um, We don't know what Monty's going to do, but to you, when you think about Jaden Ivey and you think about Monte Morris on this team now, is Cade going to, should he be played full time with the ball in his hands? Or do you think there is some value to building up and exploring what he can be coming off screens, doing different things as an offensive player than what he's done in the past? This is a heated debate in the Pistons community right now. And I'm going to fall on the side that gets the most uh, hate for it. But I. I think Cade coming out of the draft was supposed to be like this versatile player. You could play him on ball, off ball. You could play him with anybody. He's that kind of cerebral player. And thus far, his shot hasn't come along. Now, if his shot comes along where he's like a great catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, then yeah, I guess. But I think Cade, he's best with the ball in his hands. He's best as like the... Like he's supposed to be for me. When I when I watch Cade, I look at him as a guy in the future who's going to be your own offense. Like he's going to be a powerhouse offense within himself. He's a guy who can score from all three levels. He's a guy who creates shots for everyone else. And he, you're going to have a top ten. Like you're going to have a top offense just because of him, because of how good he is. Like that's how I view him. And I know people have like this. People don't really like heliocentric offenses because they haven't won a championship. But like every heliocentric offense I've witnessed has at least made it to the conference finals. Dallas, Houston, Trey Young a few years ago, Atlanta, they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. So like I, I know people say you can't win anything with them, but I, I kind of disagree with that. Um, I think And Kane, he's unselfish too, right? Like I don't right. think he plays like those guys. So I, I think he I think he's gonna whatever that version of it around Cade would look like, I think would be a little more balanced. Yeah, he's unselfish and he's a better defender than all those guys who who done it. He actually is a good defender um, or projects to be a good defender. He's been a little on and off as a rookie like most rookies were. But yeah, I think he's best with the ball in his hands. But I know Monty obviously just got done coaching Chris Paul and Devin Booker as their best players. He knows how to utilize two guards and try you know, really put them in the best positions possible. And Cade does kind of work in the same areas as those guys did. He likes to get to his mid-range shot. He likes to get to that kind of free throw line extended area um, and run a lot of pick and rolls. So it would be interesting to see how he does it or Monty, uh, you know, what sets he runs and how what kind of offense he runs with them. I trust it because of what he did with, with – Phoenix and the personnel he had in Phoenix kind of being a little similar, I feel like, to what the Pistons got. Um, but I if I think in the future, at some point this year, their their best offense probably is just going to be spacers around Cade with Jalen Duran on the floor yeah. and just run pick and roll. So Jalen Duran's a good transition point to go to the next question, which is the guy we're going to be talking about. There's someone to really watch. And for me, it's Jalen Duran. I, I adore him, Koo. He's still 19. He's really young. Had, I think, a pretty productive rookie year. He got the right size. He had the select team experience this summer. 65% on twos as a rookie without Cade there, to me, is really indicative of a guy who has natural finishing ability and isn't getting a boost from competent guard play. You know, no disrespect to Killian Hayes and, and a rookie Jaden Ivey, but like... This is not, that's not feeding a, 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 a Corey Joseph? Big man. Come on, man. All right. You know what? 
Okay. Look, look, I, I was at a Pistons Cavs game in like March that is maybe I just I felt really bad for everyone in Detroit. So like they got they just want this to be done. It's tough. It was it was rough. And but Jalen Duran pops during all of this. And for a situation again where he had no real creators and now he's getting back one of the best young creators in the league to throw him a bunch of lobs. To me, I can't wait to see it. And I think to me, if I'm banking on who's the second best young guy in this team behind Cade, it's him with a bullet. I, again, this is another, it's like a good heated topic though in the Pistons community, but it is like a lot of discussion around like who is the second best guy. So J- I mean, James, a lot of James Wiseman believers or what's the, oh, what's there, the no, trust me, there, there, there are a big James, James Wiseman base coming from Golden State, a, a big one. Um, but um, there's a lot of talk about is it Jalen Dern or Jane Ivey and Jane Ivey has a really strong fan base that if you don't like absolutely worship him it kind of like it just they, they can't go after you but I've said I think Jalen Dern and I think they're both great I love Jane Ivey I love Jalen Dern but I think Jalen Dern I do agree is the, like the guy the next guy to watch for the Pistons this year he was fantastic as a rookie if he would have started all the games and played 30 plus minutes and I think they maybe could have been better. I think he would have had an even better rookie season. I think that's about, that's probably one of the main reasons why you can expect the Pistons to be better this year is that he's going to get to start all the games this year. He's going to play hopefully 30-plus minutes a game instead of coming off the bench and hopefully not playing with another big and, and, and losing minutes to another big. Like I don't think that's going to be happening this year. So, um, And like you mentioned, without like great creators around him his rookie year, he was fantastic around the rim, 88th percentile around the rim, according to Synergy. He was like in the 73rd percentile as a pick and roll big. If he gets the ball around the rim, he's trying to dunk it every time. He's just going to jump over you. He's just going to yam it on you. He just he's and he's so strong. He's 19 years old, but he looks like it's literally like mini Dwight kind of because Dwight he just has that kind of body where it's just like, dude, are you like 19 or 26? Like it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I expect big things for Jalen during this upcoming year, especially with Kate coming back and how Kate loves to run pick and rolls with. Lob threats. That's not even bringing up the fact that Jalen Dern has some ball skills too. Great passer for a big man. Um, the area that he has to improve the most on is defensive consistently and really finding out what um, scheme defensively is best for him. They tested it a lot this past year with switching and showing high and drop coverage. Um, they were very. They were trying to see how versatile he was, and we never really got. I think it's probably drop coverage will be his best, but we don't really know what scheme they're going to run with him defensively so i think that's where he's gonna to have to really um improve at he showed some flashes of rim protector but wasn't consistent enough as a rookie you say that a lot about rookies though so i think that's where he's gonna to have to improve the most at but yeah he's definitely number two for me um with jay and ivy close behind him yeah, you hit on all the stuff that I wanted to touch on with Duran, and uh, I'll tell you right now, they're going to play drop. Uh, Monty Williams is going to put him in the paint and say, learn how to read what is in front of you, how to protect the rim, get your timing down, get your your processing down, and just take away the basket. And I think he can do that. I think, to me, you know, having watched how DeAndre Ayton was, was treated in, in Phoenix, like... I think physically, Duran's more gifted than Aiton, um, at least like athletically and just with his strength and, and overall force. Aiton has maybe some more skill uh, to his game, but I think Duran should be able to excel in the role that he's going to be given. I just hope very much that we get to see him tap into some of what was not there, uh, what Aiton was not allowed to do. And I think what's going to have to happen is that Duran's going to have to commit to those little things 
and treated seriously and improved pretty rapidly in order to be kind of given the freedom. And it's not going to happen all in one year, of course, but to be given the freedom to try to create offense, to switch onto the perimeter more, to do some of the things that are going to get him to his ceiling. But um, yeah, I mean, he's a super fun player. He's just, he just jumps off the screen with how athletic he is. Um, is he in your best lineup, Chris? So he, move on to best lineup he is in my best lineup and i think for this this is again something where you can answer it in different ways and and have some fun with it for this one i go Jaden ivy kate cunningham joe harris bojan bogdanovich and jalen duran three young guys you get your lead creator ivy gets to secondary create you get two plus shooters on the floor and a roll big i think particularly my interest in this lineup and why i think it can really work is i think a it, it kind of just fits in terms of roles, and it's pretty traditional. Like, I think it just kind of clicks together. And secondly, I think it kind of really empowers Jaden Ivey in an interesting way, both attacking as a scorer and, I think, to be a secondary creator and not have to do everything in that lineup. You got one, Koo, or you need a, a few more minutes? No, I, got, I have two lineups, if that's okay, okay, that I think will be really, really good. Um, the first one is a sneaky one i don't think people really uh i think a lot of people really think about outside detroit i got Cade, ivy um Boyan, isaiah livers and jalen duran i think something and you'll see this in the second lineup that i bring that i think could potentially be better but it's a little bit more of a hot take but that one right there it provides i think one of the things the pistons really struggled at this past season that i, I thought they had the worst wing room in the entire nba i thought it was by far their biggest weakness for like why they were so bad as their wings um a lot of noise was made about their guards and their guard play and other but their wings were really the biggest reason why they were so bad they couldn't guard anybody so and that boyan's not going to get better at that so they need a guy on the floor that can play defense but also can kind of spread the floor offensively and that's what isaiah livers can do he's a really good defender really good team defender probably their best team defender when it comes to knowing where to be rotations talking all that stuff sneaky athlete I mean, a good shooter as well. Uh, he's not going to do things that he can't do. He's not going to try to do things he can't do. He knows his role, and he's going to shoot threes. He's going to play defense. So I think that right there could be a really good lineup. It has a good blend of spacing, and you try to make up for Boyan's defense the best you can. Um, I also have really big concerns that I, we'll see how well you can actually play Ivy and Boyan on the floor together this upcoming season. Because this past season, I, I'm, I looked it up. I believe they were the second worst duo for the Pistons. Like they, they were giving up 123 points like per 100 possessions. Like they're them both rough. defensively are just they're rough. But it's like you can't. It's going to be tough to not play both of them because they're your better players. So it's like how can you make a lap around them? So I got Livers to try balance out some defense. Um, but my second lineup that I think will be could be really good. And by the end of the season, could be their best lineup. Um, is Cade, Ivy, Asar, Livers, and Duran, because Asar brings that balance of defense. He brings some things offensively that isn't shooting, but playmaking, um, secondary playmaking, uh, high IQ on cuts. Uh, overall, I think he's a little versatile offensively. He's going to be creative how you have to use him. But then also defensively, he can really guard the best team's offensive player. He can get out in transition, lead the uh, break, make the right play out of that. And you have that outside shooting with it in uh, Livers and Ivy. Ivy was a really good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter this past year, using like the 88th percentile and open catch-and-shoot threes. So you have that spacing around Cade still. You have some playmaking, multiple ball handlers if you need, and Cade, Ivy, Anasar. And on defense, you don't have any – I mean, outside Ivy, you won't have any guys that can just be attacked. Cade will be a good defender. Asar is going to be a good defender, I think, instantly. 
Uh, Livers is a good defender, and Duran is going to be a good defender. Hopefully, that's what he projects to be. So you have a good balance of defense, good balance of offense. You let Cade really take you somewhere offensively. I think that could end up being their best line by the end of the year. I love it. I watched the Pistons uh, for whatever reason, happened to catch them live when I went to visit a buddy in New York and we went to a Knicks game. They were playing Detroit. He's from Detroit or he has family from Michigan. So we watched it. Livers popped completely in person in a way like, do you know how just guys you go to the arena or you just sit down for a game and you're like, okay, he physically processing wise, he just looks like he belongs and uh you know probably too deep a cut for us to have as like the guy we're watching over Jalen Duran, but he could look like a rotation player I think Monty will like him um but my best lineup for the Detroit Pistons this season Monte Morris I think can defend at the point of attack can be an initiator can run Monty Williams pick and roll .5 offense. I think they will play Kid Cunningham off ball more than maybe people are expecting. So he's my two in the lineup. I have Asar Thompson here. I think to your point, he will be impactful in ways that by the end of the season, I think statistically will start to show up, creating turnovers, making other players better, creating open threes, the Ben Simmons effect type of thing for his teammates as a passer. I do have Boyan Bogdanovich in this lineup still shot creation plays hard on defense even if he's older and not a great athlete can be a good helper can get in the right positions make threes you know end of clock scoring the stuff that you need and then Jalen Duran, I think you know they just need size they don't have a lot of other lineups that are going to have an athletic rim protector a finisher a role threat for Morris for Cade so even if he's young even if he takes some lumps even if it takes him a while to be a positive 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 player I think he'll be their best option at center this year so that's my five um I'm do you think Asar will play I, I've learned wait what I'm a boomer because I just was like, give me the two old guys who don't move but can shoot to give me spacing. Literally, my only thought. I, was I mean, like, I got. I we all had Boyan in there. It's just a matter of who's yeah, going to be at the three. I think. I, I was think like, Joe give Harris me, give me is wa- just washed. might be cooked. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, and Joe Harris will be interesting. I don't know if he's even going to be in the rotation. I've talked with some of the beat writers, and we've talked about it. I it. They acquired him, and it was a fine. Like you didn't give up anything for him. You kind of just let him absorb your cap space. But it's like. Okay, so he's going to be battling for minutes with Asar. Asar is going to be playing. And is he better than Livers at this point? I don't know, I don't know if he's going. I, Livers, I really like Livers. And I think the team yeah, really likes good. him too. So it's like it's going to be hard. His shooting is so valuable that it's like you need him on the floor because the Pistons need shooting. But then it's also like, okay, who is he going to play over? So it's going to be – they have a deep team theoretically, so it will be interesting to see how Monty goes about their rotation. I I just hope Asar plays. And judging from yeah. the the uh, you know marry my daughter comments at summer league and everything, um, I feel like uh, he will. But you know, an old fashioned coach with a toolsy but kind of mistake not mistake prone but you know shot making uh, missing miss prone I guess you could say uh, at times guy. If the impetus is to take a step forward this season, you're trying to raise the floor. I just, I don't know. It might take him at least a few months to break through the rotation is what it feels like to me. What do you think, Koo? Which, yeah. If, if, if Vassar was not to be in the rotation instantly, I would be not only angry, but very shocked. Because I think while he struggles as an outside shooter right now, the things that he does already good, the things he has as raw skill sets are exactly what the Pistons were so awful at last year. Just having yeah. a wing who is athletic. Like that right there is already a like sometimes just being an athlete on the wings can help a team. And the Pistons has had zero of it. That's one. 
two defensively being an athlete like he's not just a good athlete he's probably like a top fifth percentile athlete in the league now him and his brother are just crazy athletes then defensively the pistons were the worst wing defense i think in the league last year they need that desperately what he can do Mm -hmm. in transition and create for himself and others i just think that there's there's going to be lumps for sure with him in the half court offense and being creative with how to use him while he figures out his outside shot like you can't just play him in the corner and say here you go shoot corner threes like that would be a mistake so you have to be a little bit creative with it but i i I just find it hard it's gonna be tough for me to see how asar doesn't earn himself like not even i don't think he's just gonna be given minutes i think he's gonna earn minutes i can't see how he doesn't outplay guys in training camp because of the things he already does well and that being something the pistons desperately need i'd be and he is young they could go with veterans over him but i just I can't see him not outplaying these guys in training camp. There's also just no point in like doing this unless you're going to play your young guys. Like you're not at a point where like you can push them away. I don't think. Let's two things we got to run through very quickly here because Ku, I know you have a hard out here. Uh, best case scenario for me, this is very simple. I don't really care so much about a ton of wins. I think I care that the floor gets raised and that Cade picks up where he left off. And that Thompson gets acclimated well enough in year one, and Duran takes steps forward, and you kind of understand more of what we have with Ivy. You could win 26 games and be like another high lottery pick coming, and I don't care if a couple things really do click into place. I don't think it matters that much if you're going to how many games they win this year. Yeah, it was pretty similar. I had the young players shoot and defend well enough to raise the team's floor as they continue developing. Pretty straightforward. We I didn't think, talk a lot about Ivy, but I think he fits right into that. We, we, we've kind of, yeah. you know, we don't have time, but he, he, he's the kind of guy I was thinking of. What do you have for best case, Coop? I think best case scenario, they win 32 games and, or not best, best case scenario is like the absolute ceiling. Maybe they make the play in at the 10th seed. I think they're probably going to be at 32 wins, but I think best case scenario, some teams in front of them in the East fall out. Chicago blows it up. Toronto blows it up. Washington tanks. That's three teams right there. They just need four teams, and now they're competing with another guy, another team there. Um, so I think that's their best case scenario. I don't think it's likely they can do it though. All right. Worst case, I think all there is for me with worst case is does no one else but Cade pop? Does Duran regress? Does Ivy not take a step forward? Does Thompson just like lost? Does this investment in competency with Monty Williams not result in competency in some way and then you're just kind of left like wondering what you have besides Kate I think if that I don't think that's going to happen here I like a lot of these young guys enough but if you don't feel clarity about some of these other young guys after this year I think I would if I'm a if I'm the Pistons if I'm that fan base I'm probably a little bit frustrated yeah, I had it as uh, another point to add to what you're saying. The vets struggle with injuries. You know, if Boyan, if Harris, if Mor- Morris isn't really on that list, but those two specifically, Alec Burke, struggle with injuries, and then Asar and Duran are still a year away. They're just going to be pretty bad in that case. They struggled with some of those same things last year, so uh, not crazy to think it could happen again. What's your worst case, Koo? I think all that is completely fair, but my worst case is Kate just doesn't turn out to be the guy. Like that would be, Oof. yeah, that that would just end everything. It would be, it, it would, that's brutal like, in only a way a fan could could even think. Like we're well, just kind of like, okay, what about this stuff on the fringe? And you're like, what if it all blows to shit? <laughs> yeah, like if Kate doesn't take that step forward that everyone's expecting, then it's you have serious problems. Like it's, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Kate's going to be a future superstar. I yes. I think Kate's him. But that is the worst case scenario. Like, if yeah, he comes it is. Back, the injury, he doesn't completely come back from it, and he's not like who we think he is. Then it's just like, what, where do we go now? Like, what's yeah. what's the plan here? 
Yeah. And who had over under over yeah. I he has talked me into the over here's why Oof. I think there are some other really sucky teams in the east and I think it's like 29 I had under like a slight under in my original notes but I think like 29 30 wins considering there are some really stinky teams in the east that they're going to play <laughs> a bunch against yeah. that I think that they maybe just get there by proxy and can I give by crook can I give an argument to try for the for everyone listening for the over can I just give a quick argument yeah, yeah. A quick argument I give is that I don't view last year's team as actually a 17-win team. I think if you're just projecting 15 wins onto the worst team, that would be psychotic. I think that would just be crazy to do. I would never do that. But I think if Kate's healthy last year, they're probably like a 22-23 win team. And then nine-game jump is not as crazy to look at. I think if Kate plays all year, Bojan plays, and they don't tank the last two months of the year because Kate's healthy and playing, if those yeah. guys actually play... Are they a good team? No. But are they like 17 wins? No, they're not. They'd be like 23 win team. So I think a nine win jump for them would be possible with Cade coming back. But yeah, I, I, if everyone, if you thought that they were like actually a 17 win team last year, yeah, no, I 15 win jump for, for a team that didn't really do much. That would be crazy. So to your point, they were statistically a 21 win team last year. If you look at, you know, cleaning the glass has that and they just calculated it out by like point differential and whatever that that gives you a little bit. And then the other point, the Suns hit way over. They I, I look back, they were at uh, 29 and a half over under preseason in Monty's first year. Obviously, they went a little further adding veteran talent, Ricky Rubio, Aaron Baines, guys who are like starter caliber who were able to step in. But they hit way over that, uh, like five, six wins over that. Obviously, the bubble and everything made it kind of weird. I don't even know how that stuff cashed or didn't in that in that season, but um, they hit the over by quite a bit. So he does have that reputation of giving that bounce. They were better than they seemed last year, but I'm still going under. <laughs> I just don't think they added quite enough veteran talent to raise the floor enough. I think they'll be better than last year, but not quite enough to get to 29-30 wins. Brennan, we understand you hate the Midwest. It's okay. <laughs> We got a lot of Midwesterners out here in Phoenix. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't hate anybody out out there. Okay, Koo, Thanks so much for coming. Through. Tell everyone where they can find Lockdown Pistons. Yeah, you can find Lockdown Pistons on YouTube, obviously at Lockdown Pistons. You can find us on whatever podcast platform uh, you you listen to any podcast on Google Play, Apple, whatever. You can find it everywhere: Spotify, SoundCloud. You can find it all over the place. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Kuka Hill. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you to Koo. We'll be back with more Just Basketball next week. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the hoops.